Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. In today's episode, Gut Check CEO Rob Wangle sits down with Grace John, the founding CEO of Just Goods Inc., Jaden Smith's eco-friendly company, former SVP of Fiji Water, current head of new ventures at Keep Cool, a company dedicated to protecting the environment through reusable shopping bags, and an advisor for SRVE and Sweetwater Energy. Listen in while Grace walks us through her journey of taking amazing ideas and bringing them to life during her experience navigating the waters of two major ventures, Just Water and Fiji Water. She proves that success doesn't just come from a unique product idea. It takes hard work and a little bit of scrappiness for it to reach its full potential. We also get to learn more about her passion for working with sustainable products and her secret hobby. Spoiler alert, it has to do with URLs. Oh, and what's the sexy side of marketing? Tune in and Grace will tell you. Kick back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. Hey, Grace. Welcome to the Gutsiest Brand Podcast. Thank you for having me here. So can you start? We, we at Gutcheck believe that uh, people are people first. So before we get into the, all the stories of the brands you've worked on and the businesses you've created and impacted, we'd love to just learn a little bit about who you are. I think I can, I, I think I can marry the two, the personal and the professional side, uh, highly due to the fact that uh, work has been my life. <laughs> I really, really enjoy work. And what's interesting is and I tell kind of the next generation of students or people that are just trying to figure out what their careers are, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily a great student. In fact, I was kind of, I was a very average student. And so it wasn't like the companies were coming to me to, and offering me jobs left and right. I had to, I, I can't even tell you how many, um, you know, resumes and applications I sent out. And, um, and finally, one was kind enough to, to see my desperation and gave me an opportunity. And it was at an industrial um, uh, company. And I started off as a sales intern, but it wasn't until I started working where all of a sudden, every, all the lights went off. And where I also felt this incredible responsibility that they are paying me to do a job, which seems unbelievable um, coming out of college because you don't really know much. At least that's how I felt. And so I felt this incredible responsibility to just, just do the best that I can do. And then some that I think that kind of set the tone, but that set the tone. And so it, in every position thereafter, it was my hobby. It was my livelihood. It was everything rolled into one, but I've not met a, a position or a company that I've not loved. Um, <laughs> and hence, that's actually, you know, fast forward a little bit. And that's kind of why I'm in the situation that I am today, because somewhere along the way, I got married and I had a kid and somehow my kid grew up and I still found myself just completely absorbed in my work. And so I had to figure out a way that I had um, essentially a forced balance and that's essentially the situation that I have, have had have today. But it's been an incredible journey to get to that point and also the realization that I need balance because this balance, not only is it 
um, allowing me to be present or more present for my family. But it's also now um, kind of expanding my other uh, or I'm testing my other capabilities of not actually doing things myself, but can I actually advise and coach and, and can I be effective in that role? And what can I impart from my 20 some years of professional experience to, to uh, championing this person or this business? Um, so so let's know. talk a little bit. So you, you've, yeah. you have created, you've driven, you've advised some incredible businesses and brands both entrepreneurial and larger companies. So tell us a little about um, some of those key steps along the way. Sure. And, and it's interesting, um, you know, after, um, I don't want to go too far back, but I think it's kind of important as to how I ended up uh, finding my lane, if you will. Um, so from that sales internship position, I assumed the sales role. Um, but once I became uh, got into the sales role, I realized because I was a student of marketing, um, so I wanted to eventually use my marketing skills that I had learned in school. So I said, okay, I'm gonna uh, just kick ass in this um, sales position, sales engineer position with the territory I have, and eventually get myself into the company's marketing team. And so two years later, I became a brand man or product manager. And that really set the pace. But in that product manager role, all of a sudden, so this is the industrial side. So all of a sudden in my early 20s, I find myself um, having to come up with uh, marketing requirements for industrial equipment that we would develop, concept develop and launch and then uh, around the world. And but in that process, I actually had to lead engineering teams to get there. Uh, so I'm not a technical person, um, and but all of a sudden I had to figure out the language um, and 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 go through that process. So that was kind of my first foray into developing, launch, and commercialization. But I didn't necessarily articulate at that moment. Oh, this is what I love doing. Um, so from there on, I wanted to get into the sexy side of marketing, which for me at that time was consumer packaged goods. And so um, after six and a half years and then this industrial side, I moved into uh, consumer packaged goods with uh, the, one of the largest um, wellness brands uh, in the U.S., which is also owned by a Japanese company. And so um, I was actually hired on more by the Japanese parent to develop new products that were completely outside of the core competencies of the wellness company, but develop a new platform of functional foods and beverages at a time when that did the, the language didn't even exist, but it was popular in Asia and it was popular in Europe. And so I had to figure out how do I create this category of functional foods and beverages in the late 90s? Um, and then basically had to go find capabilities outside of the company because our company didn't um, possess the operational manufacturing or even the, the marketing capabilities. So coming from industrial side, not having any experience on the CPG side, jumping in and all of a sudden I'm having to develop and go through this whole process, understand CPG, understand commercialization, route to market. And so it was a crash course. Um, and, but um it, it just, it, it forced me to just really just dive in, figure things out, roll up my sleeves, 
and um, was able to commercialize our first uh, for, uh, functional foods platform. And so after that, I realized, wow, I, I really get a high from this whole idea of developing and launching and commercialization and the resultant success, well, hopefully resultant success that comes out of that, that kind of paved the way. Um, and then from there, I'll kind of fast forward, um, I was briefly at um, the wonderful company, and back then it was called Roll International, and they um, have a huge uh, portfolio of everything from Teleflora, but on the uh, consumer packaged goods side, they have wonderful uh, Palm Wonderful, they have all the wonderful pistachios and nuts, and, uh, and so I was on the pistachio business for a hot second, well, this acquisition of this wa bottled water back then called Fiji Water was was in discussion. Um, and so wonderful, uh, the wonderful company actually has a strategy group that's always looking at acquisition targets. And so Fiji was was their target at that moment. And I remember the head of the strategy group um, kind of tapping me and saying, um, you know, I would love for you to join the Fiji water team once the acquisition is done. And this was 2004. So at 2004, I, I don't think most I, I don't think many people knew what Fiji water was back then, um, but I had just discovered it on my own. And I just thought, what a cool concept, um, what a cool brand. But also then the logical side of me was thinking, well, who in the hell would pay five to 10 times more for a bottle of water, right? But as soon as the deal was done, um, I essentially joined Fiji water as the first employee um, in late 2004. And um, the original intent was for me to head up international marketing. And if you look at acquisition performa, sometimes going outside of your local market may be the easiest way to justify exponential growth in a performa, as well as, I mean, there were certainly market opportunities outside of the U.S. as well. Um, I was heading up international marketing, but that was, that was a very brief stint because when I assumed that position, and was starting to look at how do I, you know, how do I roll this out into other markets? What markets do I prioritize? How do I, how do I talk about this? How do I position this? And I realized the brand discipline, um, just the discipline behind who the brand is or what the brand is, how we speak about it, um, that had not been cemented. And sure. so, so then, and, and one of the benefits one of the many benefits of uh, a wonderful company acquiring Fiji Water was that Fiji Water had, the, the original founder had created this gem of a brand, um, but it got to a point where it needed more muscle and capital to just really take it to the next level. And so in anticipation of this, this scale up, the full throttle that was going to take place, I couldn't take a brand and then just go rogue in a different market because the messaging, the consistent messaging and the positioning didn't exist in, in, in the U.S. So shortly thereafter, I realized with the president that I needed to assume the, the, the global brand director responsibility. And when I say build out or develop and such, it's still very scrappy because you're still uh, you're still performing to a performance set of expectations that you've established. Sure. So I had to figure out how do I put some discipline into this uh, organization, at least starting with marketing. And um, how, do we, how do we identify who we are, how we speak about ourselves, and, and what is this consistent, consistent messaging? 
and 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 what's the hook and all those things. And so created the the brand management team. And um, and shortly thereafter, and again, my, mind you, this is probably only month two or three at this point. <laughs> In looking closer at the brand, yes, it was a gem of a brand. There was mystique behind it, but was it was it set to um, have mass impact, be successful beyond the uber wealthy or the one percent, right? That could afford or could, would buy Fiji water, I should say. So I work closely with Linda Resnick, as well as her uh, entrusted in-house creative team to figure out what's the voice, like what's what's essential. I mean, what what makes this product so unique and how do we articulate it beyond the, the buzz of the packaging and the price point itself? All the wonderful, the positioning, the unique selling proposition that that, that had to be backed up, substantiated so that, yes, you might actually get the the trial through the intrigue at the point of sale and the the look, you know, the, the the look and feel at the point of sale, but you still need to back it up with some substantiated benefits in order for the repeat to happen and then ultimately grow that that business. So what'd you come up with? So we we completely did a refresh. Um, uh, the score bottle stayed the same, but in terms of the front and back label, the imagery, the unique selling proposition about how the water is so pure and why silica water, like all these things. And we started telling stories on the back of each of the, the bottles. So we had four different stories that supported the four USPs of Fiji water that really had not been leveraged up until that point. It was just a nutritional panel, but we decided let's give the romance. Let's give the story of why would we go to Fiji to bring this water over? And then why should you care? We did a refresh and uh, we're just getting ready to do a relaunch. And in that process, um, we started, we planned roadshows. And um, in the beverage world, your distributors are very, very important. And so it was important for all our distributors and also our customers to understand there is new ownership. It's getting a refresh. All these wonderful, it's going to be supported to a whole nother level. And these are all the reasons why you should care and ultimately give us more share of mind. That was the intent of the roadshows. You know, I think we all have perceptions of Fiji water and you actually started this conversation saying who in the world would spend this much money on a regular basis on this water. Tell us a little bit how the romance you created and the story you created and what made that brand stand out. I think I got to give props to the original founder who started it. Um, and uh, because there was such a cachet with just the bottle and the way that the bottle was designed to begin with. It's interesting because he was doing influencer marketing before we even coined the term, if you will. Right, right. So because uh, David Gilmore was um, uh, a serial entrepreneur, incredible hotelier, um, had great properties, he ran in really good circles <laughs> and uh, nice hotels and chefs. So early on, he felt like if we get these, in, if if we get Fiji water into the hands of these celebrity, even, even back then, celebrity chefs were non-existent, right? But if right. we get into the hands of Nobu, and people were just starting to figure out who Nobu was, or Jean George, and if we get this into a Four Seasons or a Peninsula, ultimately, and so so he was doing that for the visibility and presence, but 
that really just kind of appeals to his circle, right? So we got, we had to figure out how do you close the gap from that to a very, very, very small percent of the U.S. population that would participate in that and, and make it aspirational while still affordable, achievable, accessible, yeah, accessible, yeah. right? To, to everyone. And so that's the gap work that we did. So we, we basically expanded on the chefs and the hotels. So our, uh, with the hotels and bars, our on-premise sales team um, proportionately was fairly large. Um, but we invested in that because we felt like it was self-funded marketing and it was an, it was an endorsement that you couldn't even pay for. Right. And so the, the, one of the connections that um, I recall making was when we first pitched a program to target. And so the idea was, and I think I was one of the few at that time when I first met with the target buyer who had told us that whatever one facing we had was going to get discontinued. Um, I said, well, okay, let me, let me come back to you with why you should carry this. So then we had to go to work and find all the nuggets and ultimately um, worked on a, a segmentation strategy of good, better, best, the premium segment strategy. Um, that said, in order to have a premium segment, you had to have fellow premium brands. So I shared with her all the brands that she should be carrying uh, on the premium side. And then what have what premium brands will do to her set? So ultimately, we came up with what was uh, termed global water set. And so the idea was when a guest walks down that aisle and they see the section of global water set, which we came up with a POS, the signage and everything um, with their approval, of course, they're immediately taken around the world for, for that half a second, right? So you're just right. kind of doing, going through your chores and going through your routine and all of a sudden you walk down this aisle and you're like, oh, wow, Fiji. Oh, wow, Iceland. Right. You just have it. Oh, France. And so and that so that was kind of the aspiration. And then some may decide to move forward in that aspirational section and others may choose to just, OK, that was a nice ride. I went on for half a second. Now I'm going to just go down here and be real. Right. Or the other thing that was happening is um, someone would dine at Jean George and the Fiji water bottle was on the table. Or someone would go to Four Seasons, and of course, it's in their room. They go to Target and, and eventually other stores. And for that moment at the point of sale at shelf, it, it's, it's for a second, it brings them back to where they originally discovered it. How amazing is that, right? So when you connect all those dots, it works. And so just to kind of wrap up the, the Target story, since I went down that path, um, so not only were we able to get back into Target, we championed this global water set. We started off as like a 250 store test, which eventually got rolled out nationwide. And then two years later, just over two years later, we got vendor of the year. And had you told me back then that that was going to happen or that I would know what the heck I'm doing, you know, I would have laughed. Uh, but if you, if you, work on fundamental principles, right? Whether it's people, every, I mean, it's just people. It's how do you appeal to them? What's important to them? And how do you make sure that it delivers? And and and, and you got to be honest about that too, because if you're not, it's going to come back to bite you, right? So what the, the strategy that I put together for Target, I knew it would not work for everyone, but it worked for Target and it became very successful and they saw strong category growth as a result of it. So it did Fiji stay scrappy in its marketing or did you, I, I, I can't recall, did you advertise on TV or in other vehicles or 
No, back then. So it's, it's interesting because when I see Fiji on TV now, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I can't, it, it's because I lived there, right? It was my life for seven years and always being scrappy. I never had everything I wanted in order to launch a product, right? It, you always have to be scrappy and mindful of what you said you're going to do at what budget, right? This happens to this day too and the different brands that I am involved with. But sharing the idea or promise of what can be achieved is really important. Even though our budget wasn't huge. I mean, it was much bigger than, um, you know, it was much bigger post-acquisition, certainly. It still wasn't TV advertising. So I had to figure out, um, and we had some, you know, magazines that we advertised and consistently, like, for example, food and wine, we had to do a certain time, a certain amount um, of ads, just so that we can own that food and wine event. So we were very selective about where we spent our money, but the, but the perception was that it was bigger, the budget was bigger. And that was important for the trade to understand is that we are supporting this brand, but we did it. So even events, gosh, I think at one point in time, um, we had an events team um, and, you know, we would do over a thousand events uh, each year. And, but the events are more like product placement. And so it's just because every event needs a bottle of water, right? right and, right. and actually in that situation, they'd rather have a cool bottle of water. So it was a win-win situation. So we wouldn't have to pay for that event participation when most other brands would. Um, so hopefully I'm not letting any secret out now and I'm sure everything has changed at this point, but, but it was, there was a lot of bartering going on. And so again, now all of a sudden we're, we're in all these different States, all these different, um, incredible venues and events that were photographed. And then those photos live on same thing with product placement on TV. We, we were one of the early brands that were very active at product placement. And what was cool there is that the celebrities like to drink Fiji water. So again, a great barter situation. Which it's interesting because when I do work with people on innovation, we, we say that every every product you're launching, you know, you need to clearly satisfy functional needs. Mm-hmm. You need to satisfy emotional needs. How does this product make me feel? A lot of people lose the social need. How does this make me look to others? Yeah. And you know, Fiji water is definitely one that 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 badge is so critical. So. Yeah. From Fiji, you continued in the water business, but down a slightly different path. After Fiji, um, I actually joined a private equity group or a business that was purchased by a private equity group uh, in the sports nutrition arena. And my intent there was to stay um, ideally for a sale event and then um, and then figure out what my next gig was. But while I was there, um, I was contacted by um, uh, someone that I had known socially, um, letting me know that there was this idea that had been percolating for quite some time, but it was just this idea. And he said, it's in bottled water. And because you have the experience at Fiji Water, I would love for you to, um, you know, consider possibly joining the team. And I, I said, you know, sure. Absolutely not for a number of reasons, because been there, done that. I don't need to recreate um, uh, within this. I don't don't need a redo. So, you know, just based on what he shared with me, I guess at that time he had only shared that it was a bottled water business. And so subsequently I met with him and I met with the the founders 
And, uh, and as soon as I realized that um, this bottled water is a conduit here, it's a conduit for purpose. It's a conduit for impact. And it's a con it's, it's a teaching moment as well. There, there are all these things that were rolled into it. And as much as I hated the idea of leaving something that was unfinished um, in that current situation, I felt like this may be once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, this is going to be hard as hell, but I have to go for it. And, and the funny thing was just prior to that, when I assumed my first CEO gig, I told my husband, please don't let me ever take another CEO gig again. Okay. This will be my last one. <laughs> and, and of course I make it 10 times harder by becoming a founding CEO, um, you know, basically taking ideas and, and, in in people's minds and trying to figure out how do you create a, an actual plan um, and then raise money against it, build a facility and then commercialize it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, yeah. And you did it. And that was just. Yeah. So that was just water. Um, it was with the Will and, and Jaden Smith. Uh, primarily the idea was driven out of Jaden Smith and, and like many kids his age um, now or back then, um, they are really moved by um, climate change and the issues that we're facing. And, uh, and what's great about that generation is that they feel not only are they compelled, but they feel like they can make a change. Um, and certainly in his situation, because his voice carries, he had the opportunity to make a bigger change. So then they felt like bottled water was the first product that made sense. And part of the reason is because they also came across um, Tetra Pak, which is the paperboard, the carton packaging, which we see everywhere with um, you know protein drinks and juice boxes. But uh, Tetra Pak had this technology where it was like a paper, it was a paper bottle. It was the first wide mouth Tetra Pak uh, bottle that mimicked um, the shape of a traditional bottled water or beverage bottle. And so they thought, oh, this would be so cool um, to put water in here and, you know, and, and, and launch this as a more sustainable bottled water option. Um, and so, so, so that's the work that, you know, that was the concept in their minds. And then I had to figure out, okay, how, how does this all work? What does the performa look like? You know, how does it execute? And so just, oh gosh, it was, um, blood, sweat and tears from, um, cause originally when I, around the time that I started, they had already talked to maybe a couple different water locations. I think if you're not in the business, um, you know, sometimes you take it for granted. You're thinking, oh, the packaging is everything. We can put any bottle, any water into it. Just like what you had asked me about what, what makes Fiji water special. It's a great tasting water. Um, so I said, you can't, you can't, you can't shortchange consumers on the taste. Um, and so we have to make sure that what's inside the bottle matches what's outside the bottle. Because again, if it doesn't taste good, then you're not going to have repeat consumers. You're not going to have repeat. So um, went through the process. Long story short, we found a location where they had plentiful source um, abundance of spring water. And so we went through this public-private partnership with the city of Glens Falls and to essentially draw water from their spring without, uh, without impacting their water table, but also in the process 
giving them um, proceeds from the bottled water sales or what we draw. So, um, but gosh, the, the, the process of going through the town hall meetings to get that whole process approved was, is not for the, the week apart. So um, that was challenging. Uh, also challenging then to figure out where the, 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 this Tetra Pak machine, again, since we are the first to market, in order for us to launch this really cool bottle that would first capture or captivate our consumers, just like Fiji water, we had to, we had to be vertically integrated. We had to bring this machine over. We couldn't just go to a set, a set of co-packers. So we work with Tetra Pak to bring a machine over. And in the process, uh, because Just Water was founded on the principles of being a, a just company, so just with a double entendre, Mm-hmm. Not just simply water, but it's 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 just it's about fair uh, justice. What what made you think? Um, did you think this would be successful from the minute you heard about it, or did you have to grow into believing in it? As soon as I looked at the the bottle, and I knew that we could figure out the water situation, we could figure out a, a good water source, and then so the 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 purpose of it all was really interesting. And I felt like the bottled water in category industry needed a purpose. And so it's not like people are going to, and and it's interesting because I remember even my Fiji water days, you know, the industry or people would always think, oh, bottled water can't go any further than this. Oh, it can't grow any further than this. And sure enough, you know, every year, every few years, it just surpasses that, usurps that. So the category is not going to go away. I knew that the category will continue to grow, but the category didn't have um, good alternatives uh, because the other thing that was happening is that um, as consumers are changing their uh, dietary habits and, and moving away from sodas and moving away from sugary drinks and drinking more water, uh, especially on the go, they'd have to pick up a bottle of water, but you, you started to have a growing contingency that, uh, contingency that felt guilty about each of the water that they would consume and discard. Um, but certainly there were no other solutions um, other than bringing your own bottle around. So so no, having all those insights, I felt like not that we're promoting more bottled water, but you're gonna drink bottled water, you're gonna buy, purchase bottled water. You're gonna purchase bottled water, choose the better option. Right. And so with that premise, with the packaging, and then certainly I knew that at some point we're going to fuel it with, um, the family, right? the the number of impressions and the visibility. I mean, it's that's an unfair advantage from a marketing standpoint, right? So with all those things in concert, if by the way, if if I didn't have the the celebrity family and the investors in the circle, then it would have been much harder to get the word out. I felt like, but with all those things together, I felt like this has the makings to be really successful. And that's when I said, I I, I gotta go for it. And then of course there's the initial excitement of something new and and getting my hands into something new. And then I had to get real and I had to put it into a plan. And that process took um, a a few months from the concept and just refining the positioning. How do we articulate it um, to, you know, just little details in the bottle to the water inside to how do we commercialize it? And then how do we fund this? Uh, and how do we gain enough runway? And how much do we raise? You know, just all these things. I mean, the reality sets it pretty quickly. Yeah. Everything you just described, the 
the, uh, the mechanics of building a business and a brand. But were there key milestones where you really, where the business really took off? I'll, I'll share with you a um, couple, couple indicators that I had, or, you know, you have those celebratory moments. I mean, certainly the operational ch- side that, that was really, really challenging because get it through uh, the process of getting all the approvals and then just setting up a facility. Um, you know, that is an arduous process in itself, but commercially we had to figure out, you know, okay, we got to prove our concept. And, and, and certainly coming from the CPG side um, and with discipline, I did go through the tests, um, you know, make sure that the water delivered against consumer expectations or it was equal to, if not better than what we're asking them to displace. Um, all the other positioning points where you refine that, packaging refine that. And then, and then ultimately it was like going to be showtime. But before showtime, what we did was um, I thought of, well, who would be most excited about this and thought, and also knowing about the productivity of different retail formats said the the first retailer we need to go to is Whole Foods. And so uh, we went to Whole Foods um, and, and met with the team and shared our vision, the concept, the, the, and so certainly there's the concept of it all, but then you have to just get into the nitty gritty of how does this all work? And then how is it going to be supported, et cetera. After, by the end of that meeting, we're all kind of like hugging each other because they felt like we were onto something really big. Um, and so coming out of that meeting, we were told that we would have national distribution as soon as we're ready to launch. And that rarely happens for no name brand. Yeah. Then we said, okay, we need to go to Kroger and Kroger was having their category reviews. So we go to Kroger and uh, anybody that's traveled to Cincy knows that that's not an easy pilgrimage, right? So, and I call it a pilgrimage. It's, it's not easy to get to, especially if you're, well, from the West coast, I'll just say, and it's expensive too. And especially for a startup uh, business. So we walk into Kroger meet with the buyer and the buyer says, oh, we just had the single bottle. Um, we just had your segment reviews last month. That's done. Um, I'm only reviewing the, the bulk packs and the drugs and all that other stuff today. And oh my gosh, we were just so disappointed and disheartened as soon as we heard that. But you know, she was kind enough, of course, um, you know, we had made the pilgrimage, she understood. And so she said, you know what? still have 30 minutes. So you might as well just tell me about it. So we shared with her um, everything about the brand and what made it different, um, the purpose and how we were going to launch and support it. And by the end of the meeting, we had a verbal agreement that she would take it nationally as well. But anybody that's been in CPG knows that that's the relatively easier part, right? Um, Half the battle is getting onto shelf the harder battle is to get off the shelf. Mm -hmm. So how do you make sure that everything that you've done, you put your best foot forward, everything is working in concert and the consumers are getting it and they're pulling it off the shelves. The real, real, real excitement came and we would have indications throughout the first year. Um, But just from a stat standpoint, uh, the first 52 weeks, Uh, In Whole Foods, we were doing on a national average, like 60 bottles per store per week. Uh, And then we'd have 
like the markets like Florida and even Midwest that were doing 90 bottles per store a week. And, and those are crazy numbers, especially for a first year brand. And, and, uh, and then the super extra exciting moment was to go to a Whole Foods and to see that flag where it says top 100 item. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, these are all just really great. Um, you know, certainly we had the milestones, which led to the commercialization of Just, but the second half, which is validation that we were on to something and the consumers were saying yes, and they were voting with their pockets. So. All right, so I'm going to take our first off-ramp, if I can, into a little bit of a lightning round. So you, you've talked about two really distinctive brands, um, but I want to take you outside of the those two brands and maybe the brands you've either worked on or been involved with, or just as a a consumer or a marketer overall. So I'm gonna ask you um, about what we, what we call the DNA of a gutsy brand. So I'm gonna take you through the four pillars that we see in, in gutsy brands and ask you to name the first brand or ad campaign or what have you that really comes to mind. So the first one is, uh, the first pillar is empathy. Brands that really, really get the people they're trying to serve. Is there a brand that stands out? Dove. <laughs> um, Dove embraces women, um, all shapes and sizes and make them feel special. I mean, that's a lot of heart. I mean, you know, I think there's so many times when you're just, um, tearing up when you're watching a Dove commercial. Maybe not you, Rob, but you know, I know a lot of people that- They have Dove for men. They have Dove for men too. That's great. Um, pioneering, brands that really created a new way of thinking, really innovated, um, whether it's creating a new category or just new way of doing business. Apple, Virgin, Tesla. <laughs> yeah, uh, just, I mean- well, Those are good ones. Airbnb. Someone who, uh, are there brands that stand out that- um, had a bold idea that maybe wasn't popular um, and really kind of stood by that bold idea with confidence that stands out to you. Liquid death. <laughs> I guess it's can it's canned water. Mm -hmm. And I remember first seeing it, I thought who in their right mind would buy a product that says liquid death. Right. And man, they are on fire. Um, so those are, that that's a bold move to go through and, and, and they've got some great investors. And so I'm just trying to think through the pitch of, the investors who are coming on board and, and rallying around this, this canned water called liquid death. And so, and just because it's close to my, my, my uh, experience set that um, when I, when I look at that brand and what it's doing right now, I'm, I'm uh, really impressed with, with what the team has done. That's great. Are there um, the last one, we think a lot about what we refer to as the power of band, that there are so many trade-offs in bringing a product to market or, um, marketing a brand, um, but there's certain ones who seem to manage to do it all. They, they don't make as many trade-offs. They, they don't feel forced into a compromise. Are there any brands that stand out to you that don't seem to have to compromise? Um, well, I'll, I'll use Just Water again in that example, because um, one of the things that we were really, really adamant about from the onset is that we had to give consumers everything in order for us to be a mass risk because we're a sustainable brand. And so sustainable brands typically are niche products. And they're oftentimes they're niche products because uh, you're sacrificing something, whether it's taste, 
um, you know, or cool factor, whatever that may be, or, and then once you sacrifice something, you actually have to pay more for it. So of course it's going to be a niche product. And so in order for this to be a mass product and ultimately the purpose of being impact, you have to give them everything. So in just water's case, it, it was, um, yes, it was a bottle of water. It was a sustainable bottle of water. It tasted good because we, we vetted that like crazy. And then um, there was a cool factor associated with it. It's nice, clean packaging. And then last but not least, you know what? You don't have to pay any more for this bottle of water than you do whatever you're giving up. So um, I'll, I'll use just water as an example. Yeah. So tell you, you mentioned that you're advising other brands that you kind of transitioned. Um, I think Keep Cool is something you work on. Talk about what that's about. Keep Cool is the largest private label manufacturer of reusable bags. Um, so, and, and insulated soft-sided coolers. So they, it, 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 Costco, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, you'll see lines and lines and, and all sorts of variations of coolers and reusable bags. Those are all done by Keep Cool. Um, the reason I joined Keep Cool, besides the fact that I love the founders uh, or the founder, um, just a really good, solid, honest, you know, dependable man. Um, but on top of that, um, I love what he was doing and I loved his capabilities. And what he shared with me when he first met is that we have access to this washable paper material. And so I would love to use it in my private label bags, substitute polyester and use this washable paper material. And the washable paper material, once, once this material is formed, I mean, it acts like any other fabric. Uh, so it's kind of like wall-worn leather. Um, so, and when I saw that, I'm like, wow, this is really cool material. And, but he also realized as a private label supplier, it's really not going to have any impact if I just substitute it um, right, right. Polyester. So he asked me, what would you do? So anyway, I got really excited and, and I came up with a multi-prong strategy of, uh, branding the material itself as supernatural paper, because it's paper, but it has supernatural qualities, because if you have all these wonderful benefits, then you have to assign it to something and it's supernatural paper. Whereas historically it was just generically called washable paper. But we can sit here and market uh, material all day long. No one gets really excited about that. So in order to um, have supernatural paper to have more impact, and then for the trade and consumers to get really excited about this novel material, you have to have a finished product. And so the finished product, ultimately, we branded it as out of the woods. Anyway, so I put together, at that time, I didn't know it was going to be called supernatural paper. I didn't know it was going to be called out of the woods. I just knew that there was going to be uh, a material um, and, uh, and a finished goods, uh, all of it would feed each other, would support the private label business. And then the process, maybe we'll launch e-com so that consumers can buy. And then we'll have, for the first time, we'll be able to converse with consumers uh, because as a private label company, you don't. And so now we're that much more invaluable to the trade because to our retail partners, because now we're bringing consumer insights to the table. Um, I was only going to do it for about six months. Um, but, and I put this plan together and I said, um, you know, here's a, I think we can do this in six months and then I'll, you know, help you get, you know, help you staff up and, and go on my merry way. And, um, long story short, it's been, I don't know, uh, that was 2017, almost five years. And I'm still here only because 
you know, I, I love what I'm doing. That's so much fun. And, um, you know, just creating new things for, from a material standpoint, as well as consumer and trade standpoint, constantly the next product that we, or the other product we just launched is out of, out of the ocean. And that's in, in partnership with Farley, um, using ocean plastic and then transforming that into, um, various bags. And for our audience, I might explain, you've got a whole bunch of bags behind you. <laughs> I probably should have said that sooner. Yeah. So most of the bags behind me are featuring supernatural paper the, out of the woods. But um, but we uh, just recently, I've been getting more into the out of the ocean. So we have a couple of silhouettes that we're launching. So um, yeah, that's that's where I spend a bulk of my time. Um, the other company where um, I advise is um, very different. It's Sweetwater Energy. And they have to be the coolest, most innovative biomaterial companies um, ever. And, um, and they're close to commercializing their technology. But uh, same thing about not forcing anyone to make compromises, right? So if you think about biomaterials, historically, companies brands can't absorb that material or the cost that's associated with the premium that's associated with the biomaterial. Well, what if we gave you a raw material that's more sustainable than what you're currently using, and we did it at the same, if not lower cost than what, what you're displacing? So same concept here again. Right, right. Um, so that's that's the technology. It's 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 much bigger than than what I can fathom. But um, that's the really exciting company that um, I sit as an advisor for. So we are now going to the next round, kind of a closing round of. We're going to ask you to spill your guts. So we're going to get a little more personal. Uh, we've talked about a bunch of great brands. What's the first brand you remember as a child, and why? What made it memorable? Uh, M&Ms. So my parents uh, went to move to the United States um, and my brothers and I were raised by our grandmother. And so our parents were in the States for about my dad for three years apart from the children and then two years, mom, two years, they went to Minnesota, um, my dad to study, et cetera. And we would get, they would send M&Ms back. Is there a book or movie that uh, represents either your life or your career journey? And what would that be? Well, just saw Maverick and I saw a trailer for this, um, but Mission Impossible. There you go. And I can relate to that because I feel like, just like I told my husband, don't let me ever take another CEO job again. And then I did something harder. Uh, I feel like every position that I assumed, I always assumed a position that really was at that time for me, just felt like it was a stretch and people are going to see through it. They're going to find me out. You know, they're going to find out that I can't do these things. So, you know what? So because of that, I just have to work that much harder. Now your job is, is many, but uh, pick any of your jobs. How do you describe it to a child? I was told my son, um, I think, so he's got a little bit of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit in him because um, he's always coming up with new ideas, but then he says, dad has to sell it and mom has to run it. Um, so he's just, he's just going to take all the fame and glory. But uh, we always talk about it um, where I, I just help people or businesses grow their 
I, I help people grow their business. There you go. And you've given some advice, but is there any particular piece of advice? Um, you've worked with so many founders. Um, any advice you give to a business leader who wants to really be gutsy and, and grow a brand? I would say before um, getting to being gutsy and grow a brand, I think um, I think the most important thing is um, is just that honesty and the ethos and and just being a real person. Um, and that may not have short-term there, you know, may not be short-term wins, but long-term it always prevails. Um, so, um, you know, just being true and honest and good to other people is just the most important thing in anything that you do. Um, and then, um, outside of that, you know, I just think of don't take, and this, these are my own past lessons. Don't take things personally. Um, you know, have a voice. Um, and, and if it's a product, make sure it's, it's distinct and make sure there's a voice and make sure it's, 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 you get it. And, and just, we talked about it, just the empathetic part. Um, you have to be conscientious. You have to be empathetic and you have to understand why someone would go through the whole journey to connect and be a part of your brand. Um, and, and that has to be all laid out. Like there are no shortcuts and I've seen so many shortcuts, but right. you can't, there are no smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's temporary, but yeah. I, I, I think the authenticity always wins. That's yeah. So the fun part is, um, so we are creating a gutsy brand playlist. Mm -hmm. Is there a song you would add to that playlist? Don't stop believing. Although I, I don't know if I'd want to listen to a bunch of is it journey songs. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, don't stop believing uh because that that actually is really important um uh i also uh, like um there's a to go a different generation uh there's a pitfall song called uh uh, nothing's going to stop us now. And it, there, there's a lyric in there. It says, uh, you can knock me out, but you can't knock me down. Um, uh, which I think is really cool. Any last thoughts to share? I always say this, if I can do it, so can you. Right. Um, and, and just the, the, the authenticity, which we talked about as well as just your will and might and hard work, man, that's just, and the passion that is a thousand times more than, you know, whatever, just whatever you have in here. Um, so if you can combine all those things and work with passion, work with authenticity, um, people first, then um, the success will come. It may not come in that immediate gig, but there, it's, it's a journey or life's a journey, right? It'll, it will come eventually. So. Well, you, you've obviously had a great impact on helping a number of people bring their ideas to life and then create uh, products and services and solutions that um, not only are things that people consume, but actually do have a purpose. So that's great. So um, congrats to you and thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks for having me.
Well, Rob, I feel like we were able to get a great idea of Grace's background and her experience with new products and new business in that one little interview. What do you think? It was fantastic. I There are a couple of things that were really fascinating. I, first of all, she's worked on some very cool brands with some um, very influential owners and investors. Uh, we chose not to go down the path of uh, some of the controversy around the Smith family as investors. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> some very influential companies and investors. So she has some great experiences to share. Yeah, some amazing brands. A lot of brands I think people recognize. That's always fun to, to hear about. So let's get down to it. What were your main takeaways from today's discussion? There were several. The first I'll hit on, I think the um, the, the story of Fiji Water, um, there are a lot of elements of it. And, and she gave us you know, both some high level and really detailed um, explanations of how she was able to drive that even bigger. Um, but one of them was this idea of the association with other premium luxury brands, the example of when there's a Fiji water in your Four Seasons room, how you immediately associate the brand. It, it reminds me of that we, we talk a lot about when you're um, innovating and messaging, you want to make sure you satisfy functional needs and emotional needs, but social needs. And that's one example of the, how do I look to others? That badge of honor when I carry a Fiji water or if Fiji water's you know, at Four Seasons and Ritz-Carlton. Um, so that was a really important reminder that it's not just the functional need to stand out as a brand, but the social and emotional need as well. I think so too. I, you know, if you were to ask me walking on the street, what's a luxury water brand, that is the absolute first one that comes to my mind. The package is sleek. You do get it in fancy hotel rooms and uh, it's like a thick water. I don't know. I really like that water. So I thought that was funny to hear her perspective because as a consumer of it, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. The other thing, you know, and we, we talked a lot with a lot of companies, obviously, about sustainability and the importance. You know, she's had this fascinating experience of working on just water, which is a you know clearly sustainable, moving from plastic bottles to, you know, the Tetra Pak, um, and even what she's doing now with um, the materials and supernatural paper, I think. So um, that's really fascinating. So she's you know really well steeped in what's going on with sustainability and connecting it to brands and products. So that stood out as well. One of the, first of all, I thought it was fun that her um, first memorable brand was M&M's. So you can't beat that. Like uh, that's a, and there was a nice, really important story that went with that um, from her family. Um, But back to kind of the business, we've had the benefit in these Gutsiest Brands podcasts to interview a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs. She has a really interesting role where she's not necessarily the inventor or the original entrepreneur, but it was a really important reminder that the role she plays um, is often about how to bring a great idea to fruition, how to really bring it to life. And I think we get enamored a lot with people who had the big idea, but the people who really understand how to take that big idea, build the strategy, and pay attention to all the details of execution are arguably as important or maybe even more important. And it sounds like Grace has now played that role multiple times. So again, I at least I get excited about, wow, that was a really cool idea. But the the people who every day know how to bring it to life executionally is a really important reminder of the importance of that discipline to standing out and being successful as a gutsy brand. Yeah, you definitely get the impression it's not as easy as you might think. You could come up with 100 ideas. That doesn't mean they're going to be successful. You need people like Grace. 
to really exactly. follow through. Yeah, it was a great session. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. You can visit the Gutsiest Brands playlist on Spotify to check out all of the recommended songs from our amazing guests. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.